got to get that girl to move to Lakeville. Yeah, well, yeah, isn't that nice? They're going to come see us in June, I think, aren't they? They're going to try to come in June and come see us. There is an outline. It's it's two pages today, not because the sermon's especially long, so don't fear. Um, but I did put some things in, in this handout that uh, will be a good reading after the message. The the part in red is a um, it's it's just a little snippet out of a, a commentary um, that shows the use of the psalms in the in the synagogues. Uh, leading up to the time of Christ. And um, so I thought you guys might like to see that. We're going to be primarily studying and and thinking about the place of uh, hymns and psalms and spiritual songs for the worshiper. So pray with me for a moment. While you're maybe grabbing a handout or looking for your your Bible, there are quite a few different, uh, well, just a small collection of verses. This is not an expository message today, again, but this should be the last sermon in, in worship, I think. Almighty God, as we ponder where we stand in history today, dear God, how far we have gone into the future from Adam and Eve and how low we have fallen in in Romans chapter 1 as we, each one of us, experiences personally, dear God, the the corruption to our own humanity, the, the, the lacking that each of us has in our ability to, to know and to worship and to submit as Adam was created to do, dear God. We, we do, did not glorify you as God and we did not give you thanks as God in our depravity and oh dear God as we learn what it means to be the redeemed how I pray you would help us this hour Lord help us this hour to be a people who love the truth who submit to the word of your spirit I ask these things in Christ's precious name Amen Last week, we reviewed a number of scriptures that that had prioritized or that do prioritize scriptures that show you and I a man's attention to scripture that are required for him to understand what biblical worship is and is not. Biblical worship cannot be derived from man's wisdom or traditions or philosophy. And I believe we were able to flesh that out a little bit last week. We will a little bit more this week as well. Scripture actually has shown us, and and we we have read in our devotional reading last week, we reviewed a couple of examples, well-meaning men sacrificing, offering their help. Uh, we, We read about Uzzah last week, putting out his hand to stabilize the cart. He didn't mean any harm. David was the one who said, put the ark on a cart. And Uzzah was put to death. We see people throughout the history of mankind who 
in their efforts to be upright, at least in their own eyes, they find themselves rejected by God. Cain is a great example of a man who brings an offering to God. And when God says, this offering is not acceptable, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And Cain's response is anger. Men are naturally worshipers, but they are not naturally biblical worshipers. And this is what we have been considering for the last several weeks is what is biblical worship? The book of Colossians, which is where we were at a fair bit of the time last week, we found that philosophy, wisdom, and tradition are something that men naturally appeal to. And we we were shown that philosophy, wisdom, and tradition have no benefit for changing carnal people into spiritual people. Those things have no benefit. Paul said to the Colossians, you guys appeal to things like don't taste and don't touch. Those were samples of of tradition, philosophy, and wisdom. Don't taste, don't touch. This will make you more holy if you don't taste it. It'll make you a better Christian if you don't touch that. That was what's in mind there in in Colossians. Those things are of no value against the flesh. We read in Colossians 2.23. We're primarily going to be in Ephesians this morning. But look at this passage in Colossians 2 and 23. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. Last week I told you that word, self-imposed religion, is also translatable will worship. Will worship. But the the essence of the meaning of this word is it's it's the man determining how he is worshiping. It's, It's him deriving his best sense of what it will mean to worship. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Cain's offering had an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Men can be devoted to God in their own minds, Creating their means and their method of coming to Him, their their means of praising Him. And when He says it is of no value against the indulgence of the flesh, what He's saying is, is if, if it is your recipe, if it is your method for turning what is fleshly into what is holy, into what is spiritual, it, it has no effect. It cannot accomplish the goals of your heart and mind. Zechariah 7.5 has an interesting uh, reference that I just read probably yesterday. We, we come across verses like this all over the scriptures, but this one here, Zechariah 7.5, he says, 
Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seven months, during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me? Why were they fasting if they weren't fasting for him? God is telling the nation of Israel through the prophet there, you are doing this act of strong religious devotion. And he asks them, did you do it for me? This is what uh, is called a rhetorical question, right? In other words, it's not really a question. Did you do it for me? No. That's what a rhetorical question means. You didn't do it for me is another way of saying it. You see how will worship works? You see how will worship works? We we read instructions throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament, of what God is looking for when he is seeking, when, when, when he looks to see what worship is and what worship isn't. Colossians taught us, go back to Colossians chapter 2 again, verses 6 and 7 in Colossians. He said, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. You received Him a certain way. As you received Him, walk in Him. This is the exhortation and the training to this group of Christians who are in the early days of their faith. Look at what it says in verse 7. Rooted and built up in Him. Established. Abounding. As you were taught. One of the key words here is as you were taught. How do you practice your faith? How do you worship? How do you serve? As you were taught. And this is the, the, the crux of what we were trying to get to the bottom of last week. Worship is doctrine. It is words of God believed. Thoughts of Christ. Faith in Christ, practice of your faith, conviction of your faith that is according to the words of God's own revelation to his people. It is not feelings. Worship is not feelings. Worship is not aesthetic. Remember that word we referred to last week? We've looked at pictures over these weeks and the the pleasant Beautiful places to worship are obvious. You've seen posters of them. You may have been in these places. And the places that don't look like nice places to worship, you would also feel like, oh, I don't really think I would want to worship there. That's, that's an, an appeal to your sense of what is aesthetic and what isn't. What makes you feel comfortable? What makes you feel good? But worship is not feelings. It's not aesthetic. Spiritual growth, spiritual worship, spiritual fruitfulness is according to the faith. Remember the definite article that is used here in Colossians chapter 2? The faith, the objective faith, the corpus of truth, of Christ. And the promises of redemption is 
faith that's taught. So scripture teaches that following as true worshipers includes a, a rather long list of things that we do hear, believe, and act in in our pursuit of the Lord. Prayer. On the back of the, the last section of the handout is, I don't know, maybe 20 references here. These references will refer directly and indirectly to this list of things that is real worship. Prayer. Reading scripture. Giving thanks to the Lord. Listening to preaching. Baptism. Being committed to the apostles' teaching and communion. A life devoted to the glory of God. These things are true worship. And today we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about singing. What is Worshipful singing. Where and when does it fit into the life of the Christian who is learning to be a biblical worshiper? So here we're going to go to Ephesians 5. We did touch on that last week. We're going to spend most of our time here this week. Ephesians 5, 18 you'll all likely remember this verse. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And I think Christians would probably think that this is obvious. Christians would think, well, of course, well, we, we, we know we're not supposed to be drunk. I hope you know you're not supposed to be drunk, and I hope you know you're not supposed to be under the influence of, of things that take hold of, uh, of the spirit of your soul, that, that bend your, your thinking and your, and your speaking. But here a person who becomes drunk is portrayed as something that might very well be the opposite of being filled with a spirit. I'm not sure that I can say opposite. But I, I think I could say it's certainly opposed to being filled with a spirit. If you're drunk with wine, then you have submitted yourself to something that is opposed to the spirit of God. And the way Paul writes this here is don't do that but be filled with the Spirit. The two things are contrasted here for you on purpose. Don't oppose the Spirit by drinking wine. And there are numerous other ways of opposing the Spirit listed in this passage. And as you recall, when we started our, our series on worship, we were looking at, at Romans 1, and I, I taught you that when men fell... In Adam's sin, when, when humanity became corrupt with sin, there were these core defects in the nature of men that made him unable to worship. He didn't acknowledge God as God. He didn't give him thanks. He didn't give him glory. 
But instead, he made himself images. Mankind lost fellowship with God at the fall in Adam. And man was content in his lost fellowship with God. He was content in it. He was content pursuing his personal pleasures. He was content following the instincts of his own nature, his own definitions of kindness, his own definitions of generosity. He was content in carving out his own definitions of right and wrong for himself, following the instinct of his fallen nature. Non-Christians can be kind. Before you were a Christian, you could be kind. If you're not a Christian right now, you can be kind. But that doesn't make you a Christian. You can be generous. You can even say, God is awesome. That doesn't make a person a Christian. But being born again, a person who's born again, which is a real thing. It's a thing. It's the, the new birth is like a birthday. It is a real thing in time. It is an objective thing that takes place. And when somebody is born again, what they're confronted with, what you and I realize as we read through the New Testament, is the epistles, Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, they begin with things that talk about new life and new birth. And then they talk about things like, how do you walk in it? Or in other words, if you have been born again, then this is how you need to learn to think and learn to live your life as a person who's been born again. Being born again and learning our old nature must be brought under the lordship of the Spirit is what John was referring to in John chapter 4, which we've touched on a number of times in this series. It's a, it's a principal passage in understanding biblical worship. So the Lord Jesus, speaking with that woman there, is explaining to her where real salvation comes from, who the Messiah is, I who speak to you, and he is what the Lord Jesus said to her. John 4.23 says, True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's why I say, the person who's been born again learns that he is going to come under and be subject to the Spirit. As, as a reality of his new life in Christ. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Now, the reason we're in Ephesians 5 is we've just identified something. Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, the Lord Jesus tells this woman, God is seeking such to worship Him. What? Seeking what? 
those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So Paul here says, here's something that is opposed to spirit. If you're drunk with wine, this is opposed to spirit. So this text in Ephesians identifies for you and I, what are these things opposed to spirit? And then the text teaches you and I, what is it that is in harmony with the spirit? What would it mean for me to be a worshiper in spirit and in truth? Jesus, the answer, part of the answer we're finding here in Ephesians 5. Look at Ephesians 5.19. It said, be filled with the spirit at the end of 18, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. This is what we're going to be considering here this morning. This section I just read is is where we get positive instruction. It's where light is put out before our feet. It's where our minds Realize as we read this, this is what I go toward. This is what I need to learn how to practice. This is how I am going to walk in the Spirit. By the time you get here, though, the, the, the Christian has been warned of numerous things that are non-spiritual. He's been warned of many things that are opposed to the Spirit leading up to this passage. Verse 1 in chapter 5, be imitators of God as dear children. Okay, nice, general, big, positive instruction. Be imitators of God as dear children. And then there's things listed out. Love. There's something for you to imitate like your God. Love like your God with selfless love. And if you've been born again, you are to hear this instruction and realize I am to love selflessly. And then he goes on. If you are a child of God, if you've been born again, and you know that I, I need to practice this. I need to learn to walk in this selfless love. That my life is an offering. But look what he does in verse 3. Fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness or foolish talking or coarse jesting, which are not fitting. These things are not fitting for God's children. These things are opposed to the Spirit of God. These words deserve your consideration. Fornication is either mentally or actually, romantically or sexually or flirtatiously inappropriate with someone who is not your spouse. Remember, when we realize how these sins really work out in life, where you and I live, the Lord Jesus alluded to in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. 
So you feel like you're safe. You've never committed adultery. But then the Lord Jesus says, if you've ever looked at someone with lust, then you have committed adultery with them. This passage we're looking at is the same way. So fornication isn't only sleeping with somebody who isn't your spouse. It, of course, includes that. But it includes all the other little flirtations and and, and hopes and, and desires and pursuits of, of other emotional satisfaction with that someone who is not your spouse. Uncleanness is sexual improperness that is not even spoken of. In 1 Thessalonians 2.3, you can just make a reference here in your notes, we're not going to turn there, uses this same word, uses this identical word, And it teaches us that this uncleanness is a deceitfulness. It's your willingness to deceive and to be a liar and to mislead people with your deception. Coveting is in your appetite for the things that you want. As in, I really, really want that thing. Usually it's something you saw your friend had Now it can be something you see on the internet or in the mall and you really want this thing. Coveting is is an easy thing for all of us to get sucked into with with pictures and with technology. Then he speaks about speech. Speech that is not sober and edifying. Speech that is not godly. In the mouth... Your mouth's criticisms, my mouth's criticisms, boasts, disrespects, bravado. All of these things flow from a heart. All these kinds of speech that he says, he, he specifically calls it uh, foolish talking and coarse jesting which are not fitting. These, these things flow from a heart. Remember the Lord Jesus says the things that come out of a mouth started in the heart. And so this heart that flows this kind of thing out of it is opposed to the Spirit of God. It's not a heart that reflects the nature of the Holy One who birthed you. It's not a heart that is noble. It's not a heart that is dignified. A spirit-filled man has a godly heart. And therefore, words and thoughts coming from their mouth reflect the nature and the character of the God who has saved them. Remember, a simple yes or no is appropriate for the mouth of a Christian. We guard our mouths from character judgments. We guard our mouths from falling into the kind of conversation that you fall into when you're with your buddies or with the gang. We're careful that our mouth reflects the sobriety and the wisdom of God. Because a mouth should be a fountain flowing with God's grace. Remember the Lord Jesus even told a woman at the well in John 4.14. He says, if you drink of this water, from you will flow 
springs of life. You drink this water. Drink of the water I give, he said to her, becoming a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So we want to watch and guard our hearts from these sins, these characteristics that do not manifest the Spirit's mind and work. You and I want to identify them in our own lives. Are you are you quick to fall into this kind of behavior or that one that isn't of the Spirit? We want to learn to see these things and mark them in our lives and confess them and ask God for His help in guarding our hearts. The Christian, he thinks and he speaks and he praises and he endures with godliness. And it's because the life of God is in him. It's because the life of God that has been planted in him, he knows what it's like because he knows the life of Christ. You've seen how Christ endures. You've seen how Christ interacts. You've seen how Christ is patient or clear. Now, there's a passage in Colossians 14. We're not. I'll, I'll read it to you. You don't need to turn there. Colossians 14:15 are going to help us understand what we just read here in Colossians 2, what we've read here in Ephesians 5, singing, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are teaching us about a positive, or in other words, instructions positively for how you live a worshipful life. Now this one little passage here in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, tie two things together that have to be kept together. And that's what only, I just wanted to mention because we want to remember how this works here. 1 Corinthians 14, 15, it says that... Um, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding. What I wanted to remind you of is that biblical worship is singing and is praying with a prepared mind, with a mind that is knowledgeable about what it is singing and praying about. In other words, when we get back into the principal passage, the true worshipers God is seeking will worship God the Father in spirit and in truth. The two things come together. And if we're not careful, we can isolate one from the other. Worship can be all esoteric and aesthetic and feel neat and look cool with the candles and the right colors or the light show or the 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 right kind of pop music. These kinds of things appeal to you that way. But when we pull in the truth of God's revealed word and, and bring the two things together, I will pray, but I will pray with my mind. I will sing, but I will sing with my mind. We realize that the necessity of bringing God's word and truth together with our lives of worship and prayer are unmistakable. We have to bring these things together. Christian worship is intellectually understandable. Christian worship comes from something objectively known and objectively understandable. 
It is an intellect that is devoted to God's revelation of himself. So much of the New Testament is teaching you to train your mind and your knowledge of what the gospel is, of what redemption is. It's expressed in your manners, in your songs, in your prayers, in your fellowship, in your serving. So, He says, we have just read Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, which is really kind of the last example of, of negative instruction he's given in the passage. We, we've listed all these things that you as a, as a born again creature should be careful to keep out of your life. The last one in the list is be not drunk with wine. Don't let your spirit be affected and impacted that way. And he speaks about singing. This positive instruction at the end of the passage again. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The psalms is the collection of uh, the third group of the Jewish writings. It's called Tehillim in Hebrew. And the collection of these poems are mostly songs. Most of them are to be sung in the Hebrew worship. So psalms and hymns are fitting together like hand and glove. We're not speaking about separate genres of music, but it's instructing us of what it is that we are speaking to one another or singing to one another. The reason the Christian is instructed, he's, he's emphatically instructed here, do this. Because it is godly life. It is the command of the Spirit by the Apostle. Don't do this. Don't let wine or other things influence your your mind and your body. But do this because this is godliness. He's teaching us to remember. You know how many times we've raised the subject of a Christian memory in our teaching. Do you remember what God's word is? Do you remember God's exhortations? Do you remember God's promises? Christian life is remembering these things and we so easily forget. And that's one of the reasons we're told to be doing or remembering in this way. Remember to be in the spirit by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs instead of the other hundred or thousand things that you might be in instead. All the little things that you're going to grab your phone and you're going to look up this thing that you're curious about or that that you want to know about. The spirit of God is teaching men, teach one another, Sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. 
Now let's flesh this out just for a couple more minutes. What does alcohol speak? Don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit singing and speaking in this manner. What does alcohol speak? Well, the word we looked at there, I believe is dissipation. Am I remembering the right word? That's what my Bible says. Dissipation. Excess. Excess. Debauchery is another word you could put in there. Reckless living is another word you could put in there. 1 Peter 4.4 and Titus 1.6 both use the word riot. 1 Peter 4.4 and Titus 1.6, riot. Don't be drunk with wine, which is riot. What's another word for riot? Chaos. Fight. Right? Don't be drunk with wine, which is chaos. But instead be filled with the Spirit. Riot is uncontrolled especially uncontrolled by the Spirit of God. It's controlled by chaos. The Spirit sings to the Lord. The man or the woman in the Spirit makes it a priority to be speaking to his brothers and sisters their praises to the Lord or their instructions in the Lord. Exodus 15 has got... um, sister of Moses and Aaron, Miriam, singing a praise after coming through the the sea, for example. The scripture is full of many examples of men and women singing their praises, singing their hopes. We read about this singing in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It's interesting that uh, I'd like you to... uh, Make sure you notice that the phrase begins, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. How is the word of Christ to dwell in you? In your singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now let's flip it around the other way. What makes up psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? The word of Christ. How do you, how do you dwell in it richly? You sing it. You sing it to each other. You speak it to each other. Now this contrasts very strongly with the speaking that was taking place in Ephesians 5, 3, and 4. Coarse talking and foolish jesting. That's worldly speaking. That's riotous speaking. The kind of speaking and singing we're speaking about is the word of Christ, which is a biblically glad and thankful heart. It's a heart that is thankful to God 
It's a heart that is full of thanks to Christ, full of knowledge of your redemption in Christ. Now, if you look at Colossians 3 a little bit more with me, where it it, it says the exact same thing here in 3.16 about singing, spiritual singing for the believer. And it has replaced the worldliness and carnality of the spirit that you see in Colossians 3.8. Colossians 3.8 said, Put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication. Put these things off. What What do you positively do instead of that? Singing. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is what a worshipful, godly man is. This is what it means to be in the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit, in other words, has a certain sound and a certain manner to it, doesn't it? What do you hear when you hear somebody who is in the Spirit? You hear the Word of Christ. You hear the Word of God. What do you not hear? You don't hear riot. You don't hear dissipation. The passage in Colossians, the last verse here, which um, begins at 12 and we go to 17. Look at the last part. After he instructs us to be singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, verse 17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in both of these letters, we find that that biblical living, a, a life that is given to the Lord, is putting off ungodly things from the mouth and godly things from the way you are living your life, your your cleanness and uncleanness. All of these things are are hand in glove with the Spirit of God, and and we're putting the things of the world off. We avoid drug influences from wine or marijuana or even prescription drugs that would desober us. And we practice godly worship, guarding our hearts and training our hearts in God's Word, singing His psalms. That's why we've been moving more and more and more to singing just the hymns in our worship time in the mornings. We realize most of the Christian quote-unquote worship music that is available nowadays, number one, comes from false churches. And number two, every time you sing it, you send them money. We were... I forget exactly what it's called, but most churches buy a license every year. And every time you as a church sing those songs, you send royalties to the person who sang it. So churches are financing these worship groups and bands to the tunes of many millions of dollars a year. When we support these groups from false churches, we're actually supporting things that are taking away from Christ and are taking away from the gospel. 
So we will not practice that. We will not make that part of our our worship. We want to practice godly worship. We want to read and understand what we see here in Colossians and Ephesians, what we understand from the saints even of the Old Covenant. We want to practice what the believers have practiced for all the centuries people have been hoping in God's redemption. So, when we're told to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, don't sing secular wisdom. Don't sing Christian love songs, which is what is on K-Love, or whatever your favorite pop music worship place is. Don't sing Disney wisdom. Don't sing country western wisdom. Sing the inspired word of God. You know, it's very telling that especially in a passage in Colossians, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, depending on the radio station you listen to, the music you listen to, you'll be humming and singing those songs during the week, won't you? That's why he's saying sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, because it is the word of Christ that is to be dwelling in us richly. The thing that's coming out of our mouth is the thing that's in our heart. And so the Spirit of God is simply telling you and I as believers, here's how you prepare and train a heart that is worshipful, biblically worshipful. Remember that God's word is the only inspired word. And we are to be encouraged in the word and in the truth of God and his redemption and his promise of life to us. And so as you and I realize, in the fall you fell from grace, you fell into sin, you fell into damnation. And when Christ is preached to you and I, and when you have received and believed in the Lord Jesus and you've been born again, not only have you been offered eternal life, you have become a person who has given his life as a living offering to the Lord. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, this is your reasonable service, that you have been made a living sacrifice like this. Your life is a living offering. So let the words of your mouth, the meditations of your heart be words and meditations the word of God. True redemption, true gratitude and thanks, true patience and kindness. May your heart and your mouth and your worship reflect the greatness of redemption that's been given to us. Let's close in prayer together. Almighty God, we we consider the scope, I consider the, the beginning from the end, oh dear God, and we stand in this place now where we, we know the Redeemer. We know where to find truth and we are involved, Lord, in a in a battle. In the affections of our hearts and and our own understanding of of devotion and and service and love to you, Lord, I pray you would help these men and women and know you and love you in truth, dear God. Forgive us for 
times when we are distracted and, and drawn away to the world, dear God. May we see the, the love and grace that has been given to us in Christ and may we press forward in Him and believe Your Word that teaches us, dear God, to, to guard and to prepare our own hearts and minds of, as worshipers of You, God. We ask these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.